This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Fly fishing the same old place is never the same old experience. I mean, things change. You run into different people, different conditions, different situations that make you shake your head or sometimes even laugh. And we believe that every fly fishing trip really is intriguing. That, and that includes returning to an old familiar place. And that's what Dave and I did exactly one week ago. Uh, we drove from the suburbs of Chicago for two days on a little creek in southeastern Minnesota that has become uh, our favorite. We just love everything about it. And we're going to talk today uh, about that uh, trip uh, in hopes that, number one, it inspires you to get out and fly fish. Uh, but number two, it awakens you to the intrigue that you can experience, even if you fly fish the same old place. And number three, uh, we hope that this will give you an insight or two that might be useful to you in your next fly fishing trip. So our trip was a Friday and Saturday, happened to be Memorial Day weekend, and it started early, very early, especially for Dave. Yes, it did. In fact, I planned to leave my house at 4.30 a.m. so I could be at your place at 5.30, but it, <laughs> for some reason I, I struggled to get out of the, the house that early. So it was probably 4.45, maybe even closer to 5 a.m. when I jumped into the truck and, and got onto the road and drove to Libertyville, but I think I was there just a little bit before 6 a.m. Wasn't wasn't that uh, wasn't I there about that time? Yeah, you were because I got up at five and planned to be ready by 5:30 when you got there, and you texted me and said it'll be closer to six. So, uh, of course, having more extra time, I tried to do more extra things and. I wasn't even paying attention or ready when you got there. I was, yeah, it was like 10 to 6, and I, I looked outside, and, oh, Dave's here, better go. So, yeah, it was, it was early, but uh, uh, it, was, it was fine. You know, one of the things about this trip is that we had a lot of funny little interactions with people that some of them had nothing to do with fly fishing, and I, I thought one of the funniest was at uh, Panera, just west of Milwaukee, and we... You know, we ordered uh, online because that's what you have to do during this uh, social distance, uh, uh, self-isolation moment. And uh, although that was going away, that's another story. But anyway, this Panera was doing that so that the server brought out our food. And so I had my Stims hat. You had your Patagonia hat. And she looked at us and said, are you guys going golfing? Uh, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, because you and I have Gosh. talked before about how we, we've both, you know, golfed in the past. But, uh, yeah, it's always been frustrating. And, you know, we, we've given up golfing years ago. So it's like, no, we are not going golfing. I, I guess we look like <laughs> fit, athletic, trim. Yes, we did. You know, golfers. But, uh, yeah, right. Well, th well, that was kind so. of an offensive comment or an insult uh, not to, uh, you know, to insult all the golfers who are also fly fishers, but I have found through the years that it is really impossible to do both things well, and so I'd rather do one thing poorly than two things poorly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's right. So I've 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 uh, 
I've uh, decided to do fly fishing, and I'm so grateful you have too. I should just say that you and I have this little liturgy when we get up and fish either in Wisconsin or we drive all the way to Minnesota, which is what we did this time. And I live in the western suburbs, basically 25 miles straight west of State Street, which is downtown Chicago. And so Steve lives on the North Shore in Libertyville. So there is no hypotenuse of the triangle to get from uh, from Wheaton, Illinois to Libertyville. It's just it's a series of yeah, uh, short little roads and you finally jump on 294 and then you're able to drive north and um, it's just tough to get it's, it's just tough to get to Steve's place in less than an hour so the way we always work it is that I drive and pick Steve up which is a little out of my way uh, and then on the way back we come a different way and Pris, who is Steve's wife, picks up Steve at uh, at Woodfield Mall, essentially. So, so this morning, by the time we got to Panera, it was probably what seven a.m. Was it about an hour? Probably something like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yep, this was the was. first interaction of the day with uh, with some folk, and and it really triggered. Uh, a bunch of wonderful opportunities and anecdotes <laughs> throughout the trip. I think the yeah. next thing that was so interesting is when we stopped for gas in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Wasn't it La Crosse? Yeah, somewhere right right before it. Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And so in Illinois, by the way, we have one of the strictest shelter-in-place orders. We're only now starting to have a what I think is a phase three opening. And so we had a lot of cases of COVID in Cook County. I live in DuPage County. Uh, Cook County is really where uh, much of Chicago is. And so there were a ton of COVID cases there. So the entire state was under pretty strict shelter in place orders. So that day, once we got to, once we stopped to get gas, we went into this gas station with our masks. And I swear we were the only ones in that gas, gas station with masks. And whatever social distancing rules, had been in place prior to, you know, during April and early May. They they were not in place in Wisconsin at this gas station. <laughs> no, they they were not. The only other people wearing masks were, uh, I think, one elderly gentleman and the people who were behind the, you know, the counter. So yeah, it was crazy. Ah, but we made it. We we got to uh, our spot in Minnesota. It's a it's a state park, and we. Well, when we pulled in, we saw several fly fishers in the parking lot. But, but as we suspected, most of them fished the larger river. There's a larger river that runs through it, and but then there's a smaller creek, and, and we like the smaller creek that runs into this larger river. And we were right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we got there. It was uh, the conditions were right, and we were ready to go. That first day was a struggle. I figured out. Over the last two years, I have probably fished somewhere between 35 and 40 times, so roughly 15 to 20 times a year. And I was skunked one day last year on the boulder, and then I was skunked. That is, I had I caught no fish on Friday uh, on this trip. And, and I think that's pretty much out of 40 times... There were really two days. I just, it's not like, it's not like I'm a great fly fisher because I don't catch the volumes. If I really were, I'd, I'd catch, you know, 20 fish every time I go out. I don't. But it's really rare that I get, 
I get absolutely stumped or skunked, and that day I didn't catch a thing. And I think I may have had only one or two strikes. And it was one of those days where I started out with a with a dry fly, and I had a dropper. And then I, you know, I fished that for 30 minutes, and I said, okay, my rule of thumb is if you don't catch anything in 30 minutes, then change. So I changed up to a nymph rig, and then I changed to a streamer, then back to a nymph rig, and then back to a... And, I think I probably changed up my rig probably <laughs> during that day maybe 15 times. And it seemed like every other time that I'd cast it, I would get snagged. It was just, it was one of those awful days of fly. And it wasn't awful because I was out fly fishing in this beautiful country. But in terms of productivity, I actually had to start laughing at myself towards the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it was. It was a slow, slow day, and and you're you're far better at at changing up your. Yeah, first of all, you you rarely get skunked, and you are a good fly fisher, and you you're much better than I am about about switching. You know, you you say after if your rule is after thirty minutes you're not catching anything, you're going to switch. My rule is after thirty minutes of not catching anything, I'm going to keep using the same thing again. Well, that's maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but uh, that, that's how I approach it. You know, it, the fish were just not hitting, and it was frustrating because there was some cloud cover, and and it was a good day. Although we did hear later, I think the second day, from somebody that we talked to, one of the, one of the park rangers that we talked to, uh, that they, they had reported things had been pretty slow, but I... I, I ended up, I mean, I caught two, that was it, and they were both on dry flies, you know, size 18 parachute atoms, and I, I, I kept alternating between that and, a, and a, you know, caddis imitations, and I would drop something off of it, but finally, I, I mean, I caught one, and then towards the end of our fishing, uh, at the upper end of this creek, what, what is that creek? Maybe a couple miles long? Yeah, it's about it. two miles, yeah. Yeah, it comes out of a, really comes out of a cave and then runs into this river. So we were up towards where the, you know, towards the cave, kind of around the bend from it. And, and I just happened to drift my dry fly, you know, by this, you know, this really deep pool. I mean, it was deep and there was a big rock and, and I watched as the fly went by, you know, out from the depths came this trout and hit. It was a big, I mean, for that stream, it was a 13-inch brown. But like you pointed out, Dave, I mean, th this was like catching it on an attractor pattern. It wasn't because this is a feeding fish. It, You know, I, I just happened randomly to, you know, to find that the one fish who was, you know, interested in being coaxed out of its lair at that point. But, yeah, it was it was surprising surprisingly surprisingly slow and and you know what, what what do you do so we we fished for a while and i mean we fished hard and then left we were we were tired i think from getting up early and long drive and everything so we did we fish did we fish till about five or so i think or five thirty yeah, something yeah. like that Twelve thirty, yeah maybe twelve thirty to five wasn't it yes we i think it was yeah, yeah something like that i wanted to yeah. point out i do think there is this thinking that, which I have, which I have uh, embraced, which is if I'm not catching anything, 30 minutes or 45 minutes to switch up. And, and so that has just been part of my MO, so to speak, as I fly fish, because I partly I'm restless a little bit. And, um, but you have, and also your brother, Dave, 
also will will fish a dry fly all day long and sometimes i wonder when they're truly not hitting whether that's a better strategy than mixing it up where you just say i'm going to fish this same thing all day long especially where we were fishing there were some rises very minimal that one run would you'd see some rise they just weren't hitting hitting it that day but I just wonder, given, let's say we fished four and a half hours, maybe not changing it up is a better strategy because at least you get that one fish that hits the, hits the attractor pattern. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I honestly, I think your approach makes more sense because you, you never know what you might run into. And I honestly, if you were, if you happened to fish that run, you, you would have caught something probably even with a nymph and so yeah i was i was just a dry fly at that point but most of the day i did have a dropper on so it was and and i did go down in size that we've talked about that before i had the same pattern i just like well you know they're, they're not going to hit a parachute atoms they're not going to hit anything and i watched there were some caddis on the water they were not interested in taking caddis so i, I figured that this pattern is going to be fine i did go down a size and I don't know. I, I caught two, but they were they, they were kind of random. They were like outliers. So yeah, it's hard to conclude anything from that. But anyway, uh, we we had a we had a much better day on Saturday. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, yeah, I guess there's still a little bit more to the day if we're talking about interesting things that we encountered. <laughs> well, after we fished that day, we drove to Rochester, which is where we spent the night in the southern part of Rochester. And after checking into our hotel, we ordered carryout from a from a Mexican restaurant. Restaurant, by the way, which was really really good food. And um, it was. Yeah. So we actually got the. I think we got the recommendation from the uh, person at the hotel. We didn't take his recommendation, though. Remember that? It was, uh, uh, yeah, he recommended another place that was just kind of a kind of a pub food, which is fine, but, like, yeah, we wanted something a little bit more substantial. So we, we found that. Yeah, let's give ourselves credit. <laughs> well, it was very <laughs> we're, good we're food. We're creditors, too. <laughs> it was very good food. I think we both got the seafood enchiladas, yeah. and it was uh, both were, I yeah. mean, Basically, it was really good food. But anyway, so we we turn into the into the parking lot to pick up the food, and come to find out, it, it, there's this huge gathering of 1970s era cars in the parking lot, and Mustangs and Camaros. There were adults and their kids milling around, and nary a mask to be found. It, it was weird because, so. Here in Illinois, at least, you go anywhere, and people jogging will be wearing masks, and people yeah. in their cars will be wearing masks. So here we are in this outdoor gathering, and it was as if as if it were in February, right, or last summer uh, would be a better analogy. And so there was not a mask to be found. People were standing in line for their food at the at the restaurant, and then taking it outside, and and it was like this big party in the park. And there was no social distancing. It, it was odd. It just felt really odd. And there was something really wonderful about it. Of course, something really scary. Of course, you wonder, you know, in two weeks what uh, what the numbers are going to be. But uh, it was the strangest thing. It was. And they had bag toss set up. And, uh, 
you know, kids running around chasing each other and like, well, that's, yeah, it's, it looks, looks like fun. I uh, hope you hope you're healthy in two weeks. That's exactly. right. Exactly. Yeah. We had a nice, really nice hotel. It was uh, cheap and, uh, yeah, let's, let's do this tomorrow. So Saturday we got up and, uh, turned out to be a lot better fishing. And, and in some ways too, that day was even more interesting. When we arrived at the state park in which we were fishing, we had two interesting conversations. And the first was with a park ranger in a pickup. So he wanted to make sure we had a state park permit, which yesterday I had not displayed, even though I had paid for one online, it wasn't displayed properly. So I think he knew he could see my gold pilot was coming back into the area to park and he was checking up on us. He was the nicest guy, though, by the way. And, uh, really was. And come to find out, he had purchased a Honda Pilot in Libertyville, where Steve lives. So that was a nice little uh, connection. And so he goes off on this story, and it was a really funny story where he drives all the way from southern Minnesota to Libertyville, the North Shore area of Chicago, to, to buy this Honda Pilot. And so as he's leaving, he wasn't going to pick up the truck. He just went there to purchase it. And so he had this sales guy that was tailing him and basically sold him the truck. <laughs> and so as they're, as he's leaving and they're making, it must be from one end of the parking lot uh, at the dealership to the sales area to kind of close the deal. The, the salesman goes, it was probably only like 50 yards or something. The salesman goes, can you give me a ride? And the guy goes, back to the sales area? Yeah, sure, jump in. So the guy jumps into his car. So this is the park ranger's car. And the salesman asks him for money. Hey, could you make me a loan? So it was the oddest thing. Can you imagine going to buy a car and the sales guy, as you're leaving, hits you up for some cash? <laughs> oh, man. So what was the rest of the story? How much did he give him? I don't remember all that. Well, he said he had he had like a fifty dollar bill, and then he had thirteen. So he was a little bit concerned. Uh, you know, this guy knows where I live, so he he gave him the thirteen bucks, and he thought about registering a complaint, but he he didn't. And the guy said, "Oh yeah, I'll pay you back." So he he says, "I want to yeah, I want to get my wife a, a birthday gift." So when the somehow the, the park ranger went back to pick up the vehicle a couple days later, and and he he did ask guy he says, "Hey, did you?" Uh, What'd you end up getting for your wife? And I goes, oh, I forgot the $13. I'll, I'll mail you a check. I don't think he ever did. Yeah. And by the way, this was, this was not, uh, this was not the Honda dealer. It's another dealer. There's a ton of dealers in Libertyville, so we won't even yeah. name it, but this was not the Honda dealer. And you know, all those dealerships, I've dealt with several of them and they're, they're reputable, but you know, every once in a while it, it's in any profession you get, yeah, you get somebody who's uh, yeah, just doing something that's, yeah, not only shady, but just like, what? Are you kidding just, me? So The whole thing is odd. In fact, we bought our first SUV. Yeah. We bought a Toyota Land Cruiser from one of the dealerships in, uh, in Libertyville. We have a vehicle from there, well, at least one. Maybe Did we get another one there, too? I, I can't remember. But, uh, but yeah, that was a... That was kind of a fun conversation, but that wasn't the only one, was it? Second, there was another vehicle at the parking lot, and it turned out to be a woman. I, I think she was in her 40s. She was a runner, and the first time she ran by us, she said, 
I need only three-tenths of a mile to hit 100 miles in May. And it was only like May 23rd or something like that. So she was doing some kind of challenge with her friends in May. And she was the first to reach the 100-mile mark on Memorial Day weekend, which was about a week earlier than normal. So that was a fun conversation when she ran back. Did she stop? Yeah, she stopped because she was actually getting back into her car and then told us about her life and and some other things uh, about her family. But it was actually a fun conversation to start off the day. It, it really was. It's uh, <laughs> I guess that's one of the fun things about fly fishing. You never know kind of what conversation you'll get into. And it's not always with fly fishers. So uh, yeah, she was uh, she was really interested and very very passionate about uh, what she was doing. I think her husband was a, a farmer, and uh, you know she was like everybody else trying to. Uh, they were trying to you know, teach their kids at home with uh, you know internet service that just isn't uh, that stellar. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. did she say? It was uh, only uh, I, I forget the bandwidth, but it wasn't much. No, it wasn't. Yeah. It was really low. So after that, we walked down to the river, and it was uh, I don't know, it was nine nine thirty or something, and and almost immediately. It started pouring down rain. I mean, we, we like fishing in rain. That can be great to just to get the kind of encourage the hatches along. But uh, this was a downpour. And honestly, we didn't think we'd be fishing for long. And it wasn't just because uh, you you couldn't find your rain jacket, right? And, no. and it was, man, a huge downpour. But the funny thing was that the forecast was for decent weather early. And then thunderstorms around noon, but it was just the opposite. Uh, we saw one flash of lightning, and then, you remember what you said, Dave? Yeah, I do. Said, we see we see one more flash of lightning, we're out of here. And I thought, yeah, that's right. We just don't mess with lightning. Well, suddenly the rain stopped, and the rest of the morning was great. I mean, we, we had a few sprinkles here and there, but uh, the sun even peeked through, and it was it was really nice. Well, the fishing was much better for both of us. I think we both ended up with about what five or six fish, something like that. And yeah, and you know, for some of you, you're probably thinking, "Well, five or six—that's not a lot." But I'm telling you, the conditions were absolutely perfect for hatches, and yet, and yet, they're just—and there were bugs on the water. The fish just were not that hungry, but we still ended up with four. I think it was five or six. I'm trying to remember. I always like to lose lose count because then i can you know fudge a little bit but i did have a good day (laughs) so i you know i think the one thing that the takeaway for me from that day was you can have perfect conditions the overcast the light rain now it poured for a little bit but then there were light sprinkles both days were i think they were perfect for bwo hatches or even caddis hatches and yet and yet it really never materialized, and both days were really hard days of fishing. It's just that Saturday was a bit more productive, and and so I, to me, that was the takeaway, that you can have perfect conditions, and yet you can still struggle to catch fish. Yeah, there were some runs where I saw, you know, a few rises here and there, and then I noticed like two or three caddis flies just fluttering on the water, Right, right in the zone where those fish had been feeding, and nothing rose at all. Which you think, okay, they're they're teeing in on betas, uh, bluegill, something like that. 
So, but yeah, I, I caught the same thing. I'm like half a dozen that I landed. And, and the funny thing was they were all on a dropper. And I, I used pretty much the same rig as the day before. I had a parachute Adams, but then I dropped a little uh, size 18 hair's ear. And the, the idea was not to just to be, you know, just to do true nymphing, which if you're doing that, you're, you're kind of sticking near the bottom. But this was more like, okay, this nymph is going to look like an emerger. It's, you know, it had a little bead head, but it's a size 18. So even though it's not just going to sit right in the film, it didn't go down that far. But that was really productive. And I think the takeaway for me was just the reminder that, that in a small spring creek like that, that using a dry fly with an emerger type dropper, whether it's a little nymph or, or an actual emerger pattern, that's really a good alternative to a nymph rig. And, you know, sometimes you, you could catch them on the dry. That, that day I had a couple strikes that I missed and everything though was on, on the dry, but everything I caught landed was on the, uh, you know, the, the little dropper, the little nymph, um, yeah, that, that little uh, hair's ear. But uh, even if they're not hitting the dry fly, the dry fly acts as a strike indicator. And, and I think a lot of times, although traditional nymphing, you're, you're trying to get right down at the bottom, I think in the spring like that, when there's some hatches going on, uh, you know, even if that's down you know, a little ways, uh, fish can think, oh, hey, there, there's a... There's an emerger rising to the surface, and uh, I don't know how they think about it. I'm sure they don't use the language of a merger, but anyway, yeah, they, they see this thing they think is coming to the surface. So, yeah, that's a, I think that was a takeaway for me, just saying uh, another alternative to a nymph rig in a smaller stream is, is dry fly with a dropper. But I still, uh, I love the day, but it was, man, it was still a struggle. As my, as my son Ben would say, I was riding the struggle bus. Man, I kept hooking tree branches in my back cast. I, uh, you know, and then I get it untangled <laughs> and I hook my fly vest. And I'm like, what, what is this? You'd, you'd think I never fly fish before, but um, hey, that, that's how it goes. Well, my struggles on Saturday were definitely different from. Uh, Friday. So Friday, it was more like what you were talking about. I had to change my rig so many times. I, I, I'm sure I lost $50 worth of flies. I'm, I'm overstating, but, um, just from snagging and, um, and changing, not, I didn't, some of them I didn't lose, but I just changing and between changing flies and losing flies, um, changing flies for different rigs and then just snapping something off or getting it snap or getting it caught in a branch, I probably, as I said, changed up 15 times. But on Saturday, it was different. My frustration Saturday was I was casting well. And and even though I caught fish, it was just frustrating feeling like I had some really great drifts. You know, the perfect drift, and yet you catch nothing. I don't know how long we fished. We fished from, what, 8.30 or 9.30. I think you said we started. I'm not sure if we started at 8.30 or 9.30. but And then after that rain... Really, we, we really didn't start fishing, serious fishing, until after 10 o'clock because we were taking cover and yeah. Yeah, dealing with that. So when did we stop on that day? Was it 3 o'clock? I, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we again, another so again, five hours. I, I just had a really good day in terms of casting, 
and I just thought it would be a little bit more productive. So I sound like I'm whining. I am not whining. However, that was it. Was, those both days were just a little bit, and I think just a little bit hard. And I wonder if it was because I just hadn't fished that much, or my expectations were uh, overblown for the types of days we were going to have because the weather was so perfect. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's one of those days you just think, man, we're gonna have another a banner day and it, and it was good but it, it wasn't uh wasn't great you know there was one other funny thing that happened or interesting thing we we were again at the upper end of the creek and i had just hooked into this nice brown when a, a group of riders on horseback uh began to cross about 15 yards below me and i i get i suppose that was a fly fisher's dream you know you want to land a trout just as an audience shows up it's kind of funny the you know the guy who was in the lead um yeah waited just a minute i i, I mean i'm appreciative of that but i motioned him across it, it didn't interrupt the, the fishing at all but yeah i'm uh, i'm hauling in and netting this trout as uh as, as they're crossing the, the stream so yeah I, I guess they they got to see a fly fisher in his native habitat right just as they disappeared, I, I caught a second one less than a minute, uh, you know, after I saw the, the last horse. And so that was a pretty good stretch. I think you, you got some a video of that and put it on our Instagram account. But, yeah, just one of those little things. Uh, yeah, that, that doesn't happen every day. But there were actually a couple of other, I guess, some sights and sounds, right, Dave, that, that we experienced that were kind of cool. Well, one of the wonderful things walking back, uh, to the truck, we rounded this bend, and there were two bluebirds. I'm not saying they were bluebirds, meaning technically bluebirds, but they were small and blue. They had some different coloration on the wings, so it made me think they weren't bluebirds, but they were intensely blue, and they were clearly mating, and they were in this dance and circling, and and they stop on the ground, and they they pop up again, and they were right in front of us as if we were not there and it was really a delight just to watch and to be that close to birds and I'm not a bird watcher per se I mean other than seeing eagles and you know hawks and some of those things but it was actually one of those wonderful little lollipops on the way back uh, as we were going back to the truck there was another spot on the river or on the creek where both days uh, we heard frogs it was a exact same place and i think behind the or off to the side of the stream there was a little bog and there were a bunch of frogs and uh boy their their chorus it was uh, it was kind of uh was kind of haunting kind of beautiful and uh, uh i remember just stopping just just to listen to that and so that that made the yeah it's like those little things make uh kind of make the day too it just draws you into uh, what's going on in the outdoors so so when we got back to the truck that afternoon on saturday afternoon there was another guy from the minnesota dnr <laughs> checked us once again to see if we had a state yeah. park permit and i had put uh, generally you put the park permit uh in the lower corner of your windshield but since i had purchased it online i wrote out the the uh the online permit number and then just put that in the corner but he had a hard time seeing it. So anyway, we had a good little conversation with him. He said he's always glad to talk to people who are fishing because he doesn't get to do it as much as he'd like. 
<laughs> I thought, how sad is that? You live in this gorgeous, gorgeous valley and with this beautiful, beautiful creek and many, many, many more creeks like that, and you don't get to fish. So it made me a little sad for him. <laughs> Just a reminder that sometimes even if you have a great outdoors job doesn't mean that you that that translates into more time you know, fishing or, or hunting or whatever it is that you love to do. But I guess what we're, uh, you know, what we're saying today is that, that even though there's something to be said for trying new places, and we like to do that, but there's also something to be said for returning to the old familiar places. And, and what we can guarantee is that even if you go to the old familiar place, it's not going to be the same old, same old. Uh, the fishing is going to be different, and so will be the experiences that you have along the way. And I think you appreciate those experiences, the conversations, different uh, fishing experiences, because you have this point of comparison when you go back to the same run or the same river or the same creek uh, year after year. And uh, that's, that's something that we enjoy doing. I also think your knowledge continues to grow about the river. We've talked about that, about getting to know a river. And I think your insight about fishing this instead of with uh, with a nymph rig. Now, you can do some Euro-nymphing here, but in general, it, there are only a handful of really good runs that are good enough for traditional uh, strike indicator nymphing. And, and so, in part, in part because... Uh, there's quite a bit of moss on the bottom, and at this time of year, it just is starting to uh, to develop. and And so, um, and so, the idea of a of a dry fly with a with an emerger dropper rig, that's a common thing that fly fishers do. But on this river, it's especially unique because of just the shape of the river, the type of runs. So back to your point, this fishing an old river or fishing a familiar place, there's always these new things and nuances to learn as you continually fall deeper and deeper love with that river. And I would say I really love that entire little creek because it just it's not just the creek, but it's the entire context and uh, it's just one of my favorite places to fish. The last trout I caught that day was very satisfying because, like you said, there's only a handful of runs that you can really nymph, uh, you know, or a traditional nymph rig works. And so the last trout I caught that day was in this little pool that was, uh, I mean, this was like maybe two feet. You really couldn't nymph it, but it was a great place to throw a dry fly and and then it was going to go under uh, uh, you know some brush. It was kind of at the side of this little channel and deep pool. But I threw it in that, and it you know you let the dry fly drift maybe a foot, and then you had to remove it. You know this thing had drifted about six inches, and I I hooked into a really nice brown that was under the surface on that little nymph. But the point is, I, I never would have nymphed that. There was just no way. But there was there was room to throw a a, a dry fly, and then that uh, that nymph dropped enough, and yeah, boom, one one hit it. So yeah, to your point, uh, and yeah, it it is a delightful little creek, and uh, we always have fun going back. Yep, there's always there's always something new to see, to learn, to uh, experience. Well, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Here's a comment from Timothy on an old episode we did on five tactics for deep trout. Timothy writes, 
I find that increasing the weight to get my drift down to where it should be is incredibly effective. When I first fish a deep hole or any run, my presentation has to be right in accordance to the water. If you don't lose tackle, you're not deep enough. Boy, that's pure wisdom right there. With traditional nymph fishing, if you're not, and I, this is actually a great point to 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 uh, bookend or to put a final period to our conversation about this creek. There is that one run that you and I love to fish, and sometimes when we fish it, you stay there <laughs> the bulk of the day because there's a lot of rising fish often, but it is a stinking deep run and it is so hard to get to the bottom i have caught fish euro nymphing in that run but if you're tradi- doing a traditional nymph uh, uh, strike indicator with a nymph rig it's very very difficult to get down to the bottom and so i have never lost tackle in that run and that's probably because i'm not down far enough so his point uh, with a traditional strike indicator rig is absolutely dead on. If you're not losing tackle, you're not deep enough. And if you're not deep enough, you're just not going to catch fish. Yeah, absolutely. That's right, Dave. Well, that's going to do it for today. Hey, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Fly fishing.